Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Hello everyone, this is Liz and Nick again in our 117th podcast. Can you believe it? 117. Someone must be listening. I can. That's good, isn't it? Someone's listening. And I wanted to pick up on the really, really amazing David Bailey autobiography that I mentioned last week and I talked about meeting Mary Helvin. You are as one. You are Mary Helvin. We are we're twins. You're like, you, I couldn't tell the difference. We're twins. Those, those bikini pictures we talked about last week, I couldn't tell twins. the difference. But he also writes about Jean Shrimpton in the book and Bailey and Shrimpton were the couple. They were the posh and becks of the 1960s. And they revolutionised Vogue, which up till then was very posh. And the fashion pictures were very static and posed. And they were much scruffier and more spontaneous. And Jean Shrimpton, along with Twiggy and Patty Boyd as well. We've talked about Patty Boyd, haven't we, before we have, on the podcast. Yeah. She's another one of my famous friends. Not name dropping at all. They were the most beautiful women. I mean, Jean Shrimpton. But listen to what Jean Shrimpton says about herself. I had all these eye bags. I needed false lashes, top and bottom, but I've got no eyes. I had this hooded quality. Without makeup, I looked like a pig in the snow. Then I've got all these bags underneath my eyes. I mean, isn't that incredible that the face of the 60s thought she looked like a pig in the snow? But I don't think any of us see ourselves the way other people do. You do. Well, I see myself the way other people (laughs) see me. Well, that's really bad then. <laughs> that's really bad. But, you know, in general, apart from me, I think you're always going to be down on yourself, aren't you? You're always going to find little bits about yourself. And other people think you look great. And you're like, no, I've got a lump here and I've got a lump there. I know my lump's are real before you say it. But that is how it works, isn't it? But, you it? know, I did, I did a short video for work, didn't I, last week in, in, in the Pineapple Studio. And I've written a column about that. And I wouldn't look at it, so Nick had to edit it. And she's going, you look fantastic. And I I just, I couldn't look at the video of myself because I would have gone into a decline. But you genuinely looked amazing. I mean, just just to set the scene here for everybody, Liz has got this very skimpy leotard on. And I mean skimpy. It was very thin fabric as well. It was very high cut as well. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you, if you'd have been a bloke, your voice would have gone up a few octaves. It was very high That's cut. That's because it's not really because it was high cut. It's because I've got a very long body. But you looked amazing. You looked like you had these amazing long legs. And all I kept doing when I was watching it was thinking what I would look like in it. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was something between. Would the it mid-tune. be like that famous scene in Fantasia? Worse. <laughs> Much, it, much worse. Was it the hippos dancing? I think it was much. I think it'd be a cross between 
it sort of reminded me of how you string up a bit of meat for for to, for the oven, you know, like for the roast. You I don't put do a bit that. Of string round. I don't. Do I think that. that's what I would have looked like. Well, I don't do it, obviously, but I think that's what I'd have looked like in that leotard with these sort of little pouchy legs coming out. But you had these lovely long legs. So Jean, jealous. I haven't got long legs actually. Jean Shrimpton. You have when it's that bloody eye cut. Think she's like a pig in the snow. And Nicola dancing in pineapple would have been a pig in pineapple. A pig in pineapple. I love pigs. I think a pig would probably look better in it than me, to be honest. It is, it is funny that Bailey's sort of view on women, he only dated very tall, very skinny women. When he was introduced to Catherine Deneuve, whom he later married, he said of her that he didn't want to date her because she's too short, bit on the fat side for me as well. And he said of Diana, she was no great beauty. Can you see how critical men are as Can well? Can we just say, did he ever take a picture of himself and have a look at it? But don't Has you he think it's interesting that no matter how unattractive a man is, he still thinks he doesn't have to do anything to make himself better? What a cheeky git. I mean, he wasn't one of, you know, the great Romeos, was he? He wasn't like gorgeous. You didn't look at him and go, oh, yeah, I'd have a he bit of that. He was handsome when he was young. Not enough to say that is not. And actually, a good point in David Bailey's favour. He was born in 1938, so he grew up during the Second World War in the East End, Barking, Stepney. Stepney, though. Right? He knew the Cray brothers. But when he was a child during the war, because there was no food, everyone in the East End had chickens and a pig in the garden. That's sort of worrying me. And one day, his pet chicken was hanging upside down in the kitchen... Bear in mind, this was during the war, and he was a man. From that day, he became vegetarian. Okay, do you know what? I'm going to forgive him for being misogynistic and and calling his wife fat and ugly. I'm going to forgive him because of the chicken. And he didn't even know vegetarianism existed in the 1940s. He just became one. I think when you think, before you start putting labels on things, it's just the moral and right thing to do, not to kill animals to eat them. Whatever you call it, it's just the moral and right thing yeah, to do. Yeah, but most children just sort of do what their parents say, don't they? Yeah. But that's how I became a vegetarian. I was four and I've been asking my dad for a rabbit and my dad was a farmer. I've been so saying dad to didn't my dad. Eat the rabbit, did he? Well, I came into the kitchen and there was a rabbit on the counter and I actually remember this so vividly. There was a rabbit on the kitchen counter, which my dad had gone and shot and bought on for dinner. But I thought it was my rabbit that I'd been asking for. And when I found out that it was, like, dead and it was explained to me that, you know, that wasn't my rabbit, from then on, I wouldn't I wouldn't touch anything that was, you know, me. I just wouldn't. And I'm sure I was tricked with things that I didn't know were me after that because no one takes the four-year-old seriously. But from my point of view, from four years old, I was never going to eat anything that had been killed. So we are as one. David Bailey and I are as one. You get Marie Helvin as one. I get David Bailey. Yeah, you're twins. It's just, it's, it's not really in my favour, is it, really? So how did your week of no TV go, Nick? Absolute rubbish. In all fairness, it started off well. I bought paint for the front room what and colour? I bought paint for the office. It's Farrell and Ball Arsenic. Oh. Which is lovely. It's a bright green. I live in a converted barn, which has sort of got quite a lot of dark stonework. And it's just one wall that's plastered. So I've gone for this really lovely bright green. And I bought paint for the office, which is Dulux One Coat Overtly Olive. I'm, I'm in a green phase, it seems, which is lovely. And I was I mowed the lawn. I was all ready to go. And I was quite committed to this. 
And then my dog wasn't very well. He's not very well at the moment. He's he's nearly 16 and he's off his food a bit and he's just he's just not very well. So I'm like super, super worried about him. So basically I've been sort of sitting with him cuddled up on the sofa and trying to get him to eat. So I've just watched every crap TV show going. So Anatomy of a Scandal. I binge watched that till four o'clock in the morning when me, me and Charlie binge. No wonder you that. never come to work. Well, I didn't want to leave him and I couldn't read. I couldn't concentrate. I'm just too upset. So I've just watched this rubbish programme, Anatomy of a Scandal. I thought it, it, I binged it and I actually quite enjoyed it. But I thought it was pretty dire. But the plot didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. And you had all these sort of strange cinematic things where he was flying backwards through the air or she came out the courtroom and fell off a balcony and the next minute she's reading to her child, which I'm sure was all meant to be she felt she was falling off the balcony because it was so awful. But it it sort of was done in a way that didn't make a huge amount of sense. And who doesn't recognise someone they went to university with? Well, it, it, there was also a bit of a first because Sienna Miller, who plays the wronged wife, didn't expose her nipples. She is so she, beautiful. Yeah, but she isn't always she? just exposes her nipples. Why do women have to do that? I'm more interested in what Rupert Friend was exposing because I, I could proper go there. Yeah, I don't really like posh men. Should oh, I, I tell you something men. about I love Rupert him. Friend? Love him. He would wants you, me. He wants me bad. Does he like? A, would you like an antidote? God, that he wants me. He's, no. he's dreaming of, of a little bit of rough from the East End. Rupert Friend is married to Amy Mullins. Now, Nick is obviously a fetus and she's not interested in the media or fashion or covers or my illustrious career. But I remember sitting over 20 years now, I would say 23 years ago, I sat front row at Alexander McQueen, which is when he was alive and he used to show in London. This is 23 years before Edward Enninful at Vogue, who puts black people on the cover, key workers on his cover, bigger women on his cover. This is 23 years ago. So I saw Amy Mullins, future wife of Rupert Friend, walking down the catwalk, and she was on these intricately carved, beautiful wooden legs because obviously she hasn't got any legs and she's an athlete, also a model. From that moment, I chased her relentlessly. <laughs> I shouldn't say that really, as she's got no legs. But she's got prosthetic legs, so she could have run away from me. But I did and she's an athlete, so she's, she's, athlete. Got a, she's got a good chance against you, let's face it. To put her on the cover of my Sunday supplement. And he, Rupert Friend, is now married to Amy Mullen. Well, I'm sorry. And Rupert Friend played the villain. Not good enough. Mr Wickham in Pride and Prejudice opposite Kira Knightley. That's the wrong Pride and Prejudice. The it's o- not. No, the only Pride Matthew and Prejudice. Matthew McFadden. No. Matthew no. McFadden proves that Mr Darcy is the one man you want to shag across the centuries. No, 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 no. It's Colin Firth. It's Colin. You're wrong. You're so wrong. Colin no, Firth Matthew has Mr. a ruthless streak. And actually, Matthew McFadden has gone on to sort of even bigger stardom, really, because he stars in Succession. You haven't watched Succession, I haven't watched have Succession. You? If you want to binge watch something quality... Beautifully written, razor sharp wit. Watch Succession. Uh, yeah, no, it's on my list. I'll tell you what I did see though. The last Books episode. Books and Holiday, which you aren't owed any actually. Books and Holiday and watch Succession. But I did see the last episode of Killing Eve. Have you seen that? I I only like the like, first no. series. Oh no, my God, I love Killing Eve. I, honestly, I'm straight. 
and I, like I fancy Villanelle. It? I think it's funny. I think the characters are brilliant. I love, love, love it. And I watched the last episode. And I won't Is do there any spoilers. anything likable about her? Yeah. Oh God, she's so likable. She's funny. I I love her. I mean, I'm straight and I fancy her. I love her. She's just amazing. But should I tell you about the three highlights of my week? Because it's been a miserable week with Charlie and and the last episode of Killing Eve depressed me. Should I tell you my three highlights? What are the three highlights? My three highlights You had a are, strawberry mevy. Is No, is my mum's come round a lot and helping me with Charlie and stuff because he can't be left on his own. So no one helps me. She helped, oh God, helps. She's been helping me. And she came round and I said to her, Mum, I'm going to have to put the trap in the cupboard, a humane trap in the cupboard, catch that bloody mouse again. It's back. It's back. It likes my cupboard. So she said to me, I said, I don't know where it's getting in. She said, well, you have to find where it's getting in. I said, there's no hole. I can't see any holes. She said, well, they, they can get through really small holes. And, I, and and anyway, mice have no bones. So I said, what, what do you mean, mice have bones? My head literally spun around like the exorcist. I'm like, what do you mean, mice have no bones? How do you think their skin stays up when they're a skeleton? She's I don't know, she said, but someone once told me they had no bones. So that was highlight number one. That cheered me up, number one. Number two was... This is awful, but it's quite funny. Charlie has lots of tablets a day, so I put him in a little bit of sausage for him. So yeah, that this anecdote isn't that funny. I, well, it is. So I'm so I'm so exhausted, and I'm so used to putting Charlie's tablets in the sausage that this morning I broke off off a bit of sausage, put my tablets in it, and went to went to give myself my tablets in sausage. That's how programmed I am to giving tablets. And the last one, which I know is your favourite one your favourite antidote, is mum came round the other day, bless her, and she said to me, because I'm literally living on toast and sandwiches at the minute, I can't be bothered, I'm tired, and, and I'm more interested in cooking for Charlie. Well, so, Wildfit went out the window, Wildfit went it? well out the window. Wildfit went out the window. Oh, it's a, it's a way of eating for life. I know it's expensive and it takes up all my time, so I don't come to work. But it's a, it's a, it's an eating programme for life. It worked. I felt fantastic now, on it. Now, she just eats toast? I felt fantastic on it. I lost weight on it. But there's no point if you revert. No, well, it is, because you know you can do it and you can go back to it. But mummy come. I think what it is with you, Nick, is you found your level, like Lake Ontario. And that's your level, and that's where you're going to stay. That's that, this is my destiny. <laughs> Toast for the rest of my life. So, mummy, because when I eat when I eat bread, I do I blow up like someone's pumped me up with a bicycle pump. So my mum come in and said very tactfully, "You're looking very puffy. Have you been at the bread as mothers do?" So I'm like, "Yeah, mum. I'm not going to buy it anymore. I can't have it in the house." So she said, no, no, you need to not eat bread. You're all puffy. Next day she turns up, packet of crumpets, an Easter egg. I bought that for a cup of tea. Can you get vegan crumpets? Crumpets are vegan. Normal crumpets are vegan. No, they're not. They're made from butter. No, no, that's croissants. No, I know what a crumpet is, Nat. No, but they're not. Look, Google it. Warburton's crumpets do not have anything in that's not vegan. They're vegan. Well, I don't eat bread, mainly because I live in the countryside and you can't buy artisan bread. You can. You can get nice bread. You have to order it. You got this. And I went into the baker's in Richmond, in North Yorkshire, and I said, "And I said, can I have a sourdough?" And she sort of lobbed it at me. And I said, "Has it been frozen?" She said, "Yes, of course it's been frozen." What do you mean, of course? She said, "Of course it's been frozen." They don't bake them themselves. They arrive frozen. No, but they do it that. 
one at the station, Angel Bakery, they bake them themselves. Yeah, but I can't park them. I think they're only open twice a week for an afternoon, but you can get them. But I'll be honest with you, I'm not fussy. I love nice The trouble with the shops in the countryside, they're never open. Like you went to Boots today, it had a sign saying we've gone to lunch. You shouldn't be eating lunch. No. Well, I certainly shouldn't be. Lunch is for wimps. I certainly shouldn't be because I'm puffy, very puffy. How about you this week? How are you doing this week? Would you like to... You're having a better week than me. Would you like to hear about my award-winning column? Go on, give me your award-winning column because you must be having a better week than me. I've had good news. Praise be. For the first time in 22 years, I'm cheered up. Is it a new boyfriend? No, I hope not. Not unless it's a nice one. Another border collie? Definitely not. Definitely not. I'm running for the hills. No, I've been approved for a mortgage. Yay! Yay! That's really exciting. I fell off the property ladder in 2015. I was pushed. You was pushed. And now I'm back. I'm back in the saddle again. I'm going to allow you the singing thing just because we're on the positivity train. I'm not going to moan about it for once. So this is my column. Renting is hard. You can be evicted at any moment. You are told this was that bitch in Primrose Hill, self-entitled bitch. The landlady. Do you know what she told? Do you know what she said to me? Don't wear denim on the sofa because it wears it out. This was a, a flat that Liz rented in Primrose Hill with a very dodgy landlady. Don't wear jeans on the sofa. And very protective over her fairy lights, wasn't she? Fairy Cheap lights. fairy lights. On, on they the, weren't even artisans' fairy lights. On the balcony. They weren't Conran, were they? This was in a weenie flat I was renting for an extortionate amount of money. She kept sending emails saying, it is single occupancy, isn't it? It's single occupancy. I don't really sort of understand that. I mean, are you not allowed to have like a boyfriend there? Or no. I mean, I don't get it. And what difference does it make? And I once I complained because she so annoyed me. I complained about the state of the communal area. I was always having to wash it and pick up leaflets and hoover it. And her reply in an email was, oh, I'm surprised because all the other flats in the building are owner-occupied. As if people who rent are dirty. I was the only one who cleaned it. Yeah, she she was a weird fish, she Awful. was. She was a really weird woman. When I moved to London, aged 18, I shared a flat and a bedroom in the Barbican. I moved out to a bed-sitting barns with no cooking facilities, £10 a week. But if you live in London, you can just get takeaways, can't you? Just too many Not lovely in those places days. to eat. There was no delivery or anything. There weren't really the takeaway <laughs> shops in London. No, there weren't. Where I live, I can't even get a pizza delivered. I can't Don't get anything. Don't make my bed anything. sit with no cooking facility sound better than it was. It wasn't good. But it was in London. I bought my first house in 1984, a joint mortgage with my sister. And my dad had to act as guarantor because women weren't allowed to have mortgages. And an interest rate of 15.2%. It was in a slum clearance area. Next, we bought a tiny cottage in Saffron Warden, which we renovated. Tensions with my sister became so strained as I just once took a man home. And the next day she said to me, you're disgusting. Why? Why are you disgusting for taking You're single, you can do what you like. Yeah, no, well, no, not in her house. I had to walk out, taking only my duvet. I rented for a bit in Finsbury Park, and then I managed to buy a flat in the then unfashionable Old Street. After a few years, I could afford a house in Hackney. Only after exchanging contracts did I learn my road had the highest incidence of knife crime in Europe. 
Oh, oh God. I lived down the road from Hackney in Leighton and it was like, it was like, oh God, Hackney. I mean, it, Leighton was posh to Hackney, but now it's up and coming, isn't it? Now your house would be worth millions. I No, I still think Hackney's pretty awful. They, I mean, the prices have rocketed, but it's, you know, that Queensbridge Road is horrible. I did like the little man in the corner shop. I stayed in that house for 13 years and then bought my dream property on a leafy square just round the corner from Ottolenghi. I could walk to the screen on the green. The pop star Dido was a neighbour and two doors down was the comedian Paul Whitehouse. I felt I'd arrived. The fear before every assignment, flying off to war zones, disaster zones, braiding skinny harridans with iPads at fashion shows had all been worth it. But a bad marriage and horrendous divorce made me want something more. So I sold the lovely house. I left behind for my buyer the Italian wardrobe, antique chandeliers, Georgian fire grates, all my appliances, double American fridge freezer, a list of useful things to know and a bottle of champagne. I arrived in Somerset to find plants dug up from the garden, a butler's sink ripped out, light fittings leaving only a chain dangling from the ceiling, all the fire grates taken away and a stubby candle with orange peel stuck on the side. They'd not met you, had they? They'd not met you orange peel on stuff. Who gives somebody a candle with orange, with fruit stuck on the side? You can get them with like sticks of cinnamon in as well at Christmas. I don't know, I don't want that. I know you don't know that because you've never ever gone near one of them candles, but you can, it's possible. Thus began my slide into penury. Rich, untidy landowners. What is it with farmers? They just leave burnt out cars, piles of tyres, plastic everywhere. They're, they're just not tidy. No, they're not. Since leaving London, I've bought five fridge freezers, six sofas, three washing machines, nearly, four dishwashers. What happens when you rent is your appliance is too big for the house you're forced to move into, or the property's already got the dishwasher and the washing machine and the sofa, so you can't afford storage, so you sell them on eBay or give them to Nicola. For next to nothing. If you're well-known, people think you're well-off, so they rip you off. As a quiet cog in a wheel, which I was, life was fine. Being successful, I've never had so many stand-up screaming matches along the lines of, you're going to leave your house to a cat home, so what if I am? You're prerogative. Never said to anyone, well, who's going to get your house when you die? It's just ridiculous. No. That's all anyone could think of about me. I, I don't think it's you. I've When people die, quite often it turns into this yeah, most awful dead. thing. You're not dead and you're not planning on dying yet, are you? No one has helped me. The only advice before a bankruptcy hearing from someone whose job it was to ensure my welfare, do you know what he said? Smile sweetly. That's worth all the money you That's paid That's someone in. whose job it was to look after my welfare. That's all the... Yeah. <laughs> and who you paid a lot of money to. That was valuable advice. No one cared other than my readers. They would turn up with dog food. People I'd never even met. But I've come through to the other side, finally. I refuse to live under a stone. I refuse for it all to have been for nothing. I open right move and there is a square with a blank for the location shimmering and the heading... Find you're happy. That's what I'm going to do. It's exciting, isn't it? Well, you're not coming. Well, I think it's, well, it's very exciting. I'm very pleased for you because it's a, it's something that's important to you, isn't it? Well, it's important to everyone. In Italian, like in, in different countries, though, it's more of a rental thing, isn't it? People not often anymore, don't. No, that's a myth. Is it a myth? Yeah. Because I sort of saw that on one of those programs. Well, go and live in Spain then. 
<laughs> well, I'm, I, I rent. I've got no choice. No one's giving me a mortgage. <laughs> You can read this week's diary in full on Mail on Sunday's You magazine. And I remember when I was sacked in 2014, I thought, okay, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna write freelance for different people. And since 2014, I've had one commission. <laughs> this is the piece I wrote. And it's funny, when the editor got the piece, she said, oh. Liz, you're such a powerful woman and voice in the media, but there are parts of the piece that make you sound like you're a victim. I think we need to tone that down. Here at Blank Magazine, we champion powerful women taking responsibility for their choices and lives. Now, that made me really angry, actually. It made me, also made me mm. angry they took about six months to pay me and I had to keep chasing them. It wasn't actually very much either, was it? That no, it was exactly... about two and sixpence. No, well, it wasn't exactly generous. But this idea that women can't be victims, you can be whatever you want to be, you're in charge of your own destiny, it's bollocks because sometimes women are victims. I don't know where victim become a dirty word. I don't know where we became so judgmental. We have to, we need to tone that down. You sound like you're some kind of victim. I am a victim. I was duped. I was double crossed, lied to, bitched about, cheated on cheated on etc etc none of that was my yeah. fault so therefore that had a negative impact on my whole of my life and I'm still feeling the effects therefore I am a victim I don't want to become a tough bitch who no one can get two pennies out of I will help anyone if I can I'm still a strong woman but I'm not going to just tread on other people. No, and that's the point, isn't it? That's that's the healthy thing. You can have boundaries. You can take responsibility for yourself and your actions. But you've still got to have some goodness. You've still got to have some kindness. You can't yeah. go into the world ready for battle. You've still got to let people in because otherwise what's the point of life and what's the point of relationships? You, you, you can't live like that. And no, but if I'd been selfish... Mean with money, very insular, didn't want anyone to, to enjoy what I had. I'd be living in a three million pound house now with no mortgage. No, you would, absolutely. And 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 I think that's you know, that's a sad thing. You are generous, you are very generous, and, and it's not fair for people to take advantage of that. That's part of your personal responsibility, isn't it? Don't walk on other people, don't chit on other people. That's part of having boundaries because your boundaries are for yourself and also the way you treat other people that is part of your boundaries is how you behave outside of yourself it's not just it's about interesting you. though how many people just think of themselves yeah and their own family they don't think of other people well, covid's a prime example isn't it go out and buy everything off the shelf and don't worry about the little old pensioner that's gone in, you know, and trying to get something to eat when you've got the cupboard full for your family of four. I remember once ridiculous. in Somerset and I still had the Land Rover and I was driving home and then I always used to see this little old lady with her carrier bags walking along a very long country road. And once I stopped mm. and I opened the passenger drawer and I said, can I give you a lift home? And she looked at the seat and she said, no, it's covered in fur. <laughs> but you tried, you offered. I have only ever tried to help people and be nice to them. I am a victim. But it's not a dirty word, is it? And, and people are victims we of domestic abuse. We need to tone that down. I think that she should change a strap line to her magazine. I think you're a victim. You need to tone that down. Yeah. 
And actually, I some think women it's... are duped and lied to by their husband, duped and lied to by relatives, trodden on by bosses, just yeah. sacked for no reason, uh, you know. And while we're creating a society where we're increasingly putting pressure on people, you know, so you're saying you can't be a victim, you can't you've be got to be you've confident. You've got to be confident, you've got to be strong. And all we're doing is piling the pressure onto people that maybe don't have the mental but, capacity, but the mental stability, her, the experiences. Where's her sympathy for perhaps women who are shy or are not confident? She only wants people who are powerful and take responsibility for their choices. Yeah, and I'm Sometimes afraid. we are preyed upon. This is the archive I wrote in 2014, my one and only freelance piece. <laughs> that apparently was so awful because it made me sound like a victim, but there you go. This is my routine. At bedtime, prompted by noise from my electric toothbrush, Sam, the old collie, stands stoic at the end of my bed. He places two snowy front paws on the duvet. He can't get up by himself, so he waits patiently, slowly waving his feathered tail <laughs> until I place my arms under his belly and hoist him on board. Oh, lovely Sam. He's big and heavy. He was once a working dog, strong and fast. The cats, arranged in commas on the bed, lithe as yoga instructors, regard him with slow, supercilious stares. But Sam is not ashamed of his infirmity. He's thrilled. His face, now grey where he was once black, has a grin. His almost sightless, cloudy eyes shine. And the reason he's thrilled is because he gets to sleep on my bed and he enjoys a bear hug to get him up there. At first, I'd thought his moans as he lay alongside me, long and solid as a husband, to be from pain, but turns out they're from pleasure. When I kiss him on the end of his nose, he closes his eyes, only opening one to peek during the night, just to make sure I'm still there. I surprise myself with my relationship with Sam. I've always recoiled from human contact, from illness, from being a carer, from love, from intimacy. The seventh child of a very old mum, she was in her 40s when she had me, I found her false teeth, her limp, which eventually meant she was confined to a wheelchair. Not repulsive exactly, but scary, disappointing, untidy. When my dad, a career soldier, upright and moral, but not exactly warm, died of cancer, I cried less than, a decade or so later, I did when a 21-year-old cat Squeaky was put to sleep. Her fur had become spiked like Sonic the Hedgehog from my tears, as she struggled against the anaesthetic, clinging onto me with black paws cupped around my arm as she desperately tried not to leave me. When she was ill, I'd bathed her bottom when she couldn't clean herself, mashed her fish and held her in the crook of my arm for two weeks. Not long ago, I conducted an experiment. I attached tiny sat-nav trackers to the collars of my cats and to the youngest of my three border collies, Mini Puppy. The trackers were downloaded onto my laptop to form a map of their movements. The cats formed a dense scribble around my house, while Minnie, who is far too dignified ever to go on a lead, covered 12 kilometres in one afternoon at speeds of 30 miles an hour, forming another dense scribble around me. Usually in a direction she wasn't supposed to go in. No, yeah, naughty, naughty, naughty. Naughty Minnie puppy. The computer map was merely a physical representation of what I feel every day, that I'm at the centre of a dense ball of energy, protected, loved, secure, I've never been a happy person. I always dreamed of finding the perfect man, the perfect house, the perfect job. But instead of those achievements, I got all of them. Yeah. Well, not that the husband wasn't perfect. He was more of a lump. 
they brought the opposite. As a child-free woman, other moms find me odd, which I suppose I am. Didn't lose my virginity until I was 32, but I'd cared for a rabbit when I was six. I've never been lucky enough to become a mother, but through my fear of intimacy, of never feeling quite ready, I've never been lucky enough to become a mother, not through choice, but through my fear of intimacy, of never feeling ready. Once it's made me feel inadequate. Now, I don't feel that not having children means I'm less of a woman. I think this is the fight I'm always having on mum's net, Nick, is that people think just because they're a mum, it makes them better than you, and it makes them a nice person, but it doesn't make them a no, nice person. No, a mum's come in all different forms. I yeah, consider... if you're a horrible person as a teenager, yeah. you're still going to be a horrible mum. Yeah, and I, I consider myself a mum to my animals. I mean... You know, I'm up all night with Charlie. I'm cuddling him on the sofa. I'm, you know, reassuring him. I'm making his food. He's my baby, you know, and I, I don't care what anyone says. I've had him for 16 years and I care for him the same as I would my child. I'm his mum and I don't care how anybody... No, if you had a child, you'd just say, go and play in the road. I want a nanny, really. If I had a child, I'd want a nanny. <laughs> my animals, as well as making me as cuddly as a koala, have taught me so much. Take Hilda the fourth and most recent addition to my canine family, the only non-collie. I found her in a puddle in a state pound in Romania. Despite being approximately 13, with bones poking through her grey fur as though she were a broken umbrella, she'd just been spayed in the pound, without anaesthetic and without antibiotics. Shocking. I smuggled her out of the cage Bastards. in a very expensive sweater and rushed her to a local vet where she was placed on a drip and a heat pad. She couldn't raise her head. Her eyes were cloudy. Now, six months later, despite her odd appearance, she had a tail like a toilet brush. It was like a paddle, wasn't it? Was it was exactly like a paddle. She was literally the funniest-looking best dog ever. Immense age and small stature. She has the highest self-esteem of any creature I've ever met. She would sit on my shoulder like a parrot. But there's a steeliness to her, which to me a form of people-pleaser I admire. Even grown men know not to mess with Hilda if she has her pointy nose in a saucepan, a delicate paw in the fridge. I remember when I was looking after her one day, she got up on the cooker. She kept mountaineering, despite being this little old dog. She'd jump up on the chair, jump up on the table and work her way to the cooker. She had her head in the saucepan. And Martin picked her up and put her on the floor. And she she looked around at him and she was tiny and she worked out. She could attack his knee above the welly. So she went, got him by the knee above the welly. And Martin standing there, who's six foot two, saying, I mean no harm. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Every morning, Hilda skits with joy like a show pony as my doggy gang and me prepare for our walk. She didn't really understand walks either. She'd just sort of potter along and do her own thing. Oh, totally her own thing. It was her she, walk. She doesn't spend every day chewing over bitter thoughts about past slights. I've always allowed the past to cloud my now. But Hilda is teaching me to be more dog, to forgive, to have boundaries, to appreciate a log fire, a soft bed and delicious food. For me, a recovering anorexic, that's a lesson in survival indeed. It turns out my animals, whom I thought I had saved, have rescued me. Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. 
like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. Do you want to know who else is rescuing us? Who? Our lovely listeners. We've got lovely listeners. Can we just say Anne, who's one of our regulars, has written in and said she's got COVID. Oh dear. Anne normally listens with 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 a group of girls. And if you and have wine. COVID, it means you've got friends. If you've never have COVID, it means you don't have any friends. No, she does have friends. She listens to the podcast with the girls. And um, she's so they've had COVID and she's avoided it. So she's having to listen to it on her own. But we're thinking of you, Anne. Hope you're not too bad. We've also got many or Menai. M-E-N-I, M-E-N-I, Menai? Menai. Yeah. Meanie. Um, Meanie. Maybe her Meanie. name's Meanie. I think it's Menai. Are you a Meanie, Minnie? Menny? Menny? She says, hello, Ellen You girls should be so, so proud of the work you do for animals. I get quite teary when I listen to your efforts and the unconditional love for all the beautiful creatures you have loved, known and saved. Whether it be your own rescues, horses, dogs and cats, or the countless endeavours and actions to bring aid, understanding and help to animal welfare. That's just the nicest thing anyone could say to us, isn't it? That's literally the nicest thing. No, if someone said, oh, Liz, you look young. (sighs) Honestly. Right, she says, you aren't alone. There are so many of us that feel the same way, all doing our bit, raising our children to respect animals. I can't talk about the horror of meat and dairy production to anyone that doesn't already know. So I don't. I think that's a really good point, is raising the next generation. You've got to, to actually respect and look after animals and everybody to just be nicer people than we are at the minute. I'm nice. <laughs> she says, as for both of your love lives, where are the handsome, fit, vegan, kind, non-smoking, mentally stable, successful guys? I feel if they existed, they would have found Liz. Not just Liz. You said both. I want one too. No, but they'd have found me first because I'm high profile. Yeah, but I'm more friendly. I'm friendlier than you. You you like a bit of an ice goddess. You give off the no vibe. Yeah, but you've got a face like a football. Yeah, but you give off the no vibe. I give off the come on, let's do it vibe. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.